0: Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate, with your host, Broker Associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher.
1: Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Ralph Pacifico, of the founder of Pacifico Engineering. Hey, Ralph, how are you today?
2: I'm doing great, John. How about yourself?
1: Great. You know, you've been on the program a number of times, and uh, the last time we got, uh, we ran out of time. But before we talk about IA systems again, uh, and uh, I wanted to bring up uh, rental permits because that's something that uh, you can expedite. And we just recently had a tragedy out this way that was with an Airbnb and, and supposedly the smoke alarms didn't work. So can you tell us about uh, rental permits and, and uh, how you can facilitate people getting them? Because a lot of times people will go to the town where they, they reside or they'll look on the uh, website and it seems a little you know uh, daunting for them Um can you give us a little background on rental permits and why why they're they're very advantageous in in one respect?
2: Sure, we can talk about that. Now, so the rental permit laws pretty much went into effect about a decade, a little more than a decade ago, and a lot of people saw it as uh, the man's you know crawling down my neck again. But the reality is, it's a safety measure. The whole inspection is that the house is safe. Then the rental permit is that you have everything in place to make it safe for someone to inhabit in the house. So part of the rental permit, there's an inspection involved of the physical property. So the inspection, you know, we're not looking to make sure that everything in the house is perfect. That's not a requirement of a rental permit. It has to be safe and habitable. Now, two of the biggest things related to rental permits are pool safety and fire safety. And we'll kind of start with the latter first, fire safety, because of this very unfortunate event that happened the other day where a few lives were lost with uh, people, um, renters in a house locally. So part of the fire safety is very basic working smoke and CO detectors in the correct locations of the home. So the code requirement is that there should be a operational smoke detector in every bedroom of the home. Then an operational smoke and carbon monoxide detector one on every floor and within 15 feet of every bedroom door. So this way, if there is a fire, someone sleeping can be notified of it, can get the audible alert of it. So a lot of times, smoke detectors, CO detectors, they stop working. I hear that beep, what is What is that? You, you hear it and then, you know, and, i don't think it's
1: i don't think it's i think it's on the uh, it's not being recorded so don't worry about it
2: okay yeah so 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 the, the beep goes away but when the beep goes away that just means the battery went completely dead from from low to dead so uh, other times people may have a problem with the smoke detector if it's too close to the kitchen where they'll just pull a battery out and forget to put it back in so you want to know these things are working when you, if you're an owner you're, and you're going to be a landlord, you're going to rent your property, you want to know that you have everything up to snuff. God forbid there is a bad event, such as this fire that occurred. You want to know, one, I think for your own feelings, and two, for any legal liability that you did everything legally, morally, ethically required To help prevent this. So if you do not have smoke detectors in the right locations or they're not operational, you need to, you really want to know that. Now, there may be part that goes on the renter because if a battery goes dead while they're in there and they don't report it to the landlord and they just take the battery out, that could be a problem in itself. But you want to know at the time that you got the permit that everything was up to snuff. So that is a very important feature and a liability issue. Now, the thing is, you know, as a renter, what we're going to see what plays out with this unfortunate event we had a few days ago, but whether it comes up as they start doing investigations, whether there were problems with the home, whether permits existed on it, whether there were proper fire safety features in place, and they may end up on the news. And the reality is, as a landlord, you don't want to be on the news, probably. Yeah, you, right. know, you know, I, I, you don't necessarily have to go by the, uh, you know, any publicity is good publicity.
1: Right. That doesn't seem to apply to in, in that situation.
2: Correct. So, um, you know, that's a really important feature. Then, you know, as we go on with safety features, another very important one is pool safety feature. So I
1: don't don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, we were talking earlier and you had mentioned something where a lot of the smoke alarms are connected to security systems. Yes. Can you can you can you elaborate on that part? You know, because a lot of people have security systems.
2: Correct. So when we go into a home and we're checking the smoke and CO detectors in a high portion of the homes, they're part of the security system. So the central station monitoring. So with them, there is no separate test button, so we have no way of testing them. So if you're an owner and you're renting, and even if you're not renting, just for your own safety, it's good to verify with your security service company that those devices are working. There can be instances, those are, can also be battery powered, some are, some are hardwired, but if they are, if the battery goes dead, you may get a warning, and then, you know, an owner or the central station can bypass that so you don't see that error code anymore. And if someone forgets, they don't get it repaired, that device could not be working. So you really want to make sure as an owner, if part of your safety system is within that security system, that you make sure that that is all up to snuff. smoke detectors and CO detectors. And then as well as... Unrelated to a rental inspection, you don't need to have a security system, but your own that your perimeter alarms are working and, and everything else is up to snuff as well.
0: Um, you know, if there are, uh,
2: you know, anyone can be at risk for, you know, other things besides fire that you go on a security system for. Right. So. Okay.
1: So you were, you were saying uh, you were adding on to that before I. Uh, asked yeah. So one
2: of the other things, uh, you know, with most of the rentals uh, in this area there are swimming pools associated with it. Pool safety is a very important factor. So the code says you have to have an enclosure around your pool. And there are code requirements, a 48 inch barrier that can't be climbable. They define the size of the holes and the openings allowed, how the gates work. They have to open away from the pool, not into the pool. If the house is part of the barrier, so you have a door you can walk out and walk directly to the pool without going through another barrier, those doors have to be equipped with pool door alarms, um, which I'm just gonna say are the most annoying device known to man, because you open the door, you have seven seconds to hit a bypass button. If you don't, you get a 110 decibel shrill alarm that will make your eyes roll around in your head. Um, If you do hit it within seven seconds, you have another 15 seconds to close the door or the alarm goes off. So a lot of people will put those in for CO inspections and then immediately after the inspector leaves, they'll pull out the batteries or they'll disconnect the alarms. I understand it, but it's not a good safety thing to do. And especially if you're a landlord, when your tenant comes in, make sure that those alarms and all the safety items are working if someone bypasses it let it be the tenant let it not be the landlord right i know that everything was working the day that the tenant came in um so it protects two things one from someone straying onto the property you know a pool is considered an attractive nuisance and then the other is from your own people you have you know young children Uh, That are going to be at the house. Unfortunately, I myself know um, over the years of two young children that died in pool accidents, uh, relatives and friends, and you know it is some a tragedy no one wants to live through. And that's the reason for the code, not just to be an annoyance, but unfortunately these safety features mean you have to override something to get past them, such as press the button on the pool door alarm. You can't keep the door open. You, you know, you need to walk through a gate to get to your pool. So th- those are really important features to concern yourself with as a property owner and especially if you're going to be renting your property.
1: Right. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, if you, they do it themselves, uh, they have to the building department has to do the inspection of the house. Correct. Where in your situation, if they they um, uh, employ you, then Being an engineer, you can sign off on the inspection.
2: Correct. That's correct? Correct. So uh, most of the permit applications for rental permit allow two options. You can either ask the building department to come and inspect your home, or you can hire an independent design professional such as myself to come and inspect the home. Now, I'd love to say I'm easy. I'm not easy. I'm gonna look for these things. I'm gonna look for your pool safety features. I'm gonna look for your fire safety features. The other things we look at as part of the uh, permit requirement, lighting on stairs, safe stairs, handrails. So again, all safety related. Now, the one other thing that does come out of it is I have to make a statement that I look at your survey And then, if there's anything different on your property than is on the survey, I need to state it as such. So, if you you added a shed, added a pool, and these things were done and they're not on the survey, they are identified to the town at the time of the application. Now, if they were done legally and you have the CO for it, it won't be a problem. Um, We also have to, a floor plan needs to be sent in. So, if you have a floor plan, great. If not, the owner can do one or I can do it as part of the service. Um, But they will look at the floor plan. And if there happens to be a finished basement that wasn't there on the CO, they do look for that. If there are additional bedrooms over what the CO says, they look for that. So you also want to be careful because when you do go for a rental permit, if there were things done that are not documented properly with the building department, they can be raised as a flag. Doesn't mean you won't get the permit, but it means you have some additional work to do to get the permit for it. But ultimately, you're going to be bringing your property into full conformance with town requirements. So ultimately, it's a good thing, although it may seem as an impediment in the beginning.
1: But does that slow down the process then? I mean, if all of a sudden, as you say, they, they see something that's not supposed to be there or something that's not up to code, um, does that... Well,
2: Generally, what they will do is if you, for argument's sake, we've come in many instances where there's a finished basement, where it has not been documented with the town. So if you put an application in for the finished basement, even though it's not completed, you don't have your CO, they will generally let the rental permit proceed. But then you, once you start the permit for the finished basement, you have to take it to completion. So basically, your not necessarily resolving the problem, but you're making the steps to resolve the problem.
1: Okay. How can uh, somebody get in touch with you if they have more questions about uh, okay. the permits?
2: Sure. We're at uh, Pacifico Engineering. The phone number is 631-988-0000. And, um, again, do you have a website? Uh, the website is uh, pacificoengineering.com. And uh, we do we can do just the inspection we can do the application for you we can do floor plans so you know as large or as small a service you need we can accommodate you some owners like to handle it themselves other ones just want someone to take care of it start to finish
1: great ralph pacifico pacifico engineering thank you so much for your time this is john christopher from real life we'll be right back with my next guest Welcome back to Real Life. And this is John Christopher. People seem to think that the Hamptons is just about the sun and the surf, but it's more than that. It, it also offers culture. And to talk about that is the executive director of the Hamptons uh, Music Festival. Now, well, let me ask you, is it the music festival or festival of music, Michael?
3: It's actually the Hamptons Festival of Music.
1: Right. And we're speaking with Michael Yip. Hi, Michael.
3: Hello, John. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great having you on the program. Um, before we talk about the uh, Hamptons uh, Festival of Music, tell us about where did you grow up and are you a musician also?
3: <laughs> you know, I get that question all the time. <laughs> um, well, my, my part is a conductor. It's natural, so, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's a natural thing. It's like, are you a musician? So uh, I was actually born in Canada. I was raised in, uh, in the U.K., and I've always been around um, that type of music and culture. So I was basically playing piano and trained on piano since I was ooh, probably like three, three or five years old, something like that. So uh-huh. played a long time, but now I do not perform particularly around a conductor. So I just—it's <laughs> therapy for me. So, but I do play the piano, yes.
1: Oh, so. that's that's great. Now, do you uh, also compose or just? Uh...
3: I, you know, I'm a huge supporter. So philanthropically, you know, I've traveled the world in my uh, in my business and, you know, I always make time to go to an opera or go to a, a symphony. So I consider myself more of a patron of the arts than uh, than someone who produces or creates the, uh, the beauty of sound on a stage. So right. uh, we need more people like me, apparently. Right. So.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I think that's great for um, <clears throat> me. So let me ask you what what prompted you to initiate the uh, Hamptons festival of music
3: that, that's an excellent question and you know it, it goes to the premise of your uh, of your show uh, you know basically Michael and I were looking to, uh, basically, you have a footprint and a, and a home here in, uh, in the Hamptons. Uh, when I lived in, in Manhattan, this, I, I, I'd come out to the Hamptons all the time, like everybody, right? That everyone knows it as a vacation spot. But we kind of really felt there was a draw here from an artistic, cultural point of view, uh, and definitely a place that, you know, it wasn't just looking for a house, it was actually looking for a home uh, for this new festival concept that we were looking to. Ah, uh, basically replicate. Uh, there's a parallel festival that we've done on the West Coast for, uh, I think, it's wrapped up 29 years over on the West Coast. Oh, so wow. we where, said, you know, this the
1: West Coast, by the way, uh,
3: in Bellingham, Washington. It's just okay. north of Seattle. And you know, Michael started that in you know 1993. Michael,
1: Michael, that's Michael. Uh, Palmer? Michael
3: Palmer, the right. uh, artistic director and conductor. So right. he's the uh, maestro. He's the maestro. So these are calling him maestro. Meet Michael. Otherwise, you'll get mixed up so So you both (laughs) at the same time (laughs) oftentimes people are like are you m1 or m2 that's what that's what we normally get but it was really the draw for buying a home here and uh and that was really and and i'm not making this up because i'm on your show i mean it was really we needed to be a part of the community and if we were going to mount a a festival of this caliber uh we needed to Basically be here to get to know uh, the rhythm, get to know the people and, you know, really what culturally ticks here. So uh, and, and that was in 2017. We, we purchased our house in East Hampton. So.
1: Right. So in that time frame, you've been uh, gestating
3: on on putting this together, I imagine. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We've uh, ever since we hit the ground uh, running, you know, getting into our home here, doing a few touch ups, uh, we started hosting a lot of uh, house parties, uh, a lot of house concerts. Uh, we've got a beautiful 1924 uh, steinway brand piano in the house so it was just a beautiful place to kind of welcome people talk about the concept you know starting 2018 and then as we all know we got kicked with the pandemic so uh you know that knocked two years of momentum out of our win so uh so here we are we uh, made the decision december january to pull the trigger and Doesn't give us a lot of time, but we still we have to do this. We can't keep talking about it. So
1: now now something I I thought was interesting, you have a lot of musicians coming in from around the country. Is that correct?
3: That is absolutely correct. Uh, One of Maestro's uh, sort of hallmarks is uh, so this orchestra that we have for the Hamptons Festival this year is actually called the New American Sinfonietta. And it is actually the reincarnation of uh, the American Sinfonietta, which is his first Uh, orchestra that he created, uh, specifically to tour Europe for 10 years. Mm. And that concept was made up of this invitation-only virtuosic orchestra. So top players uh, from around the country, many hold principal positions at some of the leading North America orchestras. That concept really drew this camaraderie And that is the premise of the orchestra and the Bellingham Festival. And ironically, over half of them are coming and joining us here in the Hamptons for our inaugural year. So it's a great concept.
1: Are you you housing them or are you providing housing, of
3: some?
1: (laughs) Are they just (laughs) sleeping on the street and playing the violin? (laughs)
3: Yeah, no, right. Welcome to the Hamptons. Uh, Housing (laughs) out here is tough. There's no question. Uh, We're actually doing this kind of hybrid uh, housing strategy. Uh, On the West Coast, you know, it took about, you know, a good five to ten years for what what is called a homestay kind of concept where people would open up their homes they would house a musician uh, in exchange for that they would be you know partaking in, in elements of the festival so we tried to lead with that here and you know it, it it's taken a while for people in the hamptons to get comfortable with that right hmm. it's not it's not normally done i know the uh, hamptons film festival was you know toyed with that so right now we're settling with we've got a core group of supporters probably about 10 who have opened their homes up they're so generous. So we're really thankful for those folks. And then we've had to secure rental housing. So we've we've actually really had fun. to find. And that's a pretty expensive proposition out here. Wow.
0: wow!
1: Well, now, do you have uh, people that donate to um, to the festival?
3: Yes. Yes, we are a 501C3. So we are a, a nonprofit charity uh, in, in New York state and we're definitely open you know obviously sotheby's is uh, is is a huge supporter of ours uh, so grateful for their support uh, but we have a number of um, really really valuable financial supporters that have been uh, helping us along uh, but it's you know our first year so people are wondering yeah. who are you right, right. Are, or what what are you going to be around you know right. is this a sustainable thing so you know you have the exciting. usual story. I,
1: I think it's exciting i mean uh the caliber of musicianship that you're you're employing um to me is like wonderful you know it's and it's here and that's exactly. one of the things i find about the hamptons is that yeah. people just think it's you know all it is is the, the surf and and you go right. see you know right. but there's right. more and that's why people live here you know it,
3: it, you know it's one of the draws for some of the newer members of the of the orchestra i mean we've got some really amazing uh, players that are coming uh, in the first year, you know, the principal bass of the Chicago Symphony, we've got uh, the former uh, violist of the Vermeer String Quartet, one of the, you know, the leading string quartets in the world. Uh, Chris Mumm is coming from uh, just hot off the heels as Prince uh, of a violist with the uh, Met Opera Orchestra. So big, big caliber uh, names. And I think everyone who uh, will join us in September, I think they'll be really, really, really um, They'll leave with an incredible experience. Let's put it that way,
1: right? Uh, you know, I was just thinking about uh, Perlman's camp uh, on Shelter yes. Island. Yeah. Uh, what you know, I imagine he'll have a lot of his students coming to see uh, this. You know, the performances.
3: We we hope. I know we've we sort of picked the the weekend right after Labor Day, uh, which I know is is going to be a challenge for us to replicate, given the a lot of our players are starting up with their home orchestras. But uh, you know, if if the Perlman camp and and their students there are still around of course we you know the community is a is a huge connection that we want to make uh so there's lots of those opportunities that we're still making the outreach so uh definitely you know if if the perlman camp folks are listening to this uh come on come I'm on down later. and now join where, us
1: where is it where are the performances
3: So they are all being held at LTV Studios. And for those who are familiar with that, it's it's kind of tucked away in Wainscot, right across the East Hampton uh, Airport. Uh, Great facility from the point of view of, um, you know, it's this incredible television studio that we can do a lot with. But it'll be an intimate, incredibly intimate experience for the audience. Uh, It only seats about 170. So we've got very limited capacity but we're going with this sort of concert in the round type of an experience so you know the our audience members will be up close they'll be feeling uh the music they'll get to know the players it's uh unlike any other concert uh orchestral concert that you may have been to
1: mm. you know i i know i've been to um ltv with uh, they've had um, what is it the hamptons jazz fest yes yep and yep. so i've gone there and actually it's it's a great uh environment and also what i was listening um was the acoustics
3: are excellent too exactly yeah well we're really banking on good acoustics so right. <laughs> so that's uh, fingers crossed we haven't yeah. uh obviously you know we're we're just in the throes of it now so uh, we're definitely looking forward to uh developing a long-term relationship with ltv so you know right. it, it's
1: that's great. something. so let's let's make this into an annual event that's what.
3: That's the goal. I mean, our plan, this is just a pilot year, uh, you know, the the three nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but we are definitely looking at almost a multi-week festival, perhaps a little bit earlier in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, over the course of two to three weekends, we're we're really hoping for a five concert arc series. So uh, something pretty amazing for, you know, people who live here year-round, but people who also visit in the summer. So Mm -hmm. really bringing... Art and culture to to the Hamptons. I think that's I like fabulous. Them.
1: That is fabulous. Um, can you give us a little background of Maestro uh, Michael Palmer?
3: Sure, sure. He is uh, sort of what over let's just say over a half a century of uh, conducting. Uh, he his sort of origination is uh, he was the associate conductor of the Atlanta Symphony under Robert Shaw, and that is a name that uh, if you're you know a fan of choral music or you're a fan of Everybody knows Um, the name, Yeah, I mean, so that was, you know, Michael's uh, first foray into conducting and uh, being a music director. So, you know, the repertoire under Robert that uh, Michael was able to conduct with the Atlanta Symphony is, you know, you you can't even put it all on 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 pages. I mean, there's so much opportunity. So with that as a jumping point, uh, he went on to be the uh, music director of the New Haven Symphony and in addition to uh, the Wichita Symphony. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the American Sinfonietta, he started, uh, he's toured Europe at, you know, all of the leading cultural institutions and uh, concert halls in Europe. So, you know, you're talking about someone who has played with and conducted probably the biggest names in the classical uh, repertoire. Everyone, everything from uh, even Itzhak Perlman to Gary Colson to even some of the young rising stars, Josh Roman, and Stefan Jackiv out of New York. Uh, so just an incredible depth and and breadth of um, mastery of the you know classical masterworks, but uh, I would say he's he's probably one of the quintessential Beethoven interpreters. So you'll you'll definitely hear that in the concert finale with uh, the Beethoven Seventh, one of his signature pieces. So
1: wow, that's that's going to be phenomenal. I I, yeah. I love it. That's one of my favorites too. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: it's it's a powerful piece. If you're gonna leave what we call a barn burner. That's, uh, that's one of them. So.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, is it too late to, uh, purchase
3: tickets? No, no, definitely. Um, you know, we do have a limited number of VIP passes. Uh, we do still have, uh, tickets available, single tickets. Uh, but, you know, please go to the Hamptonsfestivalofmusic.com for ticket information or text THFM at nine one nine nine nine, that's probably the easiest way to get a special link to uh, the ticket information and the various packages that we have available. But yes, we we definitely welcome, uh, obviously subject to uh, fire code and uh, capacity. So
1: um, the programs now it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What's what's being offered on Sunday evening?
3: So Sunday is the finale, and we're opening uh, with a Mozart overture, and the uh, the main sort of guest artist, is the internationally renowned classical guitarist, Pepe Romero. Oh,
1: that's going to be great. I don't mean to interrupt you, Michael, but uh, uh, how can, if somebody has more questions, how can they reach you?
3: Sure, sure. Well, the the easiest way to go to our website, thehamptonsfestivalofmusic.com, or feel free to send an email, and it's contact at thehamptonsfestivalofmusic.com. Fantastic. So contact at our website. So that's the easiest way to get in touch. And someone will respond back to, um, you know, almost as soon as possible. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Michael yeah. Yip, Executive Director of the Hamptons Festival of Music. Or I'm sorry, Hamptons. Fe- is it? Uh, I-
3: the Hamptons Festival, Festival of Music. Of Music. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay,
1: got it. All right. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the fabulous village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to have an awesome journey.
0: You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.